Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. Today, we are going to continue our conversation about intuition. If you remember last week, we talked all about what intuition is and scientifically how it works and how it saves us time, but also some of the pitfalls that can happen with our intuition and how we can use our dual system of thinking in order to safeguard ourselves and to make both good short-term decisions and long-term decisions. However, I know that when we have religious trauma or we come from a high-demand religious background, there's a lot of indoctrination that sometimes it can be hard to tell if we're hearing our own intuition, if we're hearing our own voice, or if we're just hearing the indoctrination from our childhood, or if we're having a fear response because of our trauma. And this seems to be a pretty universal experience, not being able to tell, is this me? Is this my intuition, or is this what I grew up with, and being able to tell the difference. And so today, we're just going to kind of go through the process of how you can tell the difference and how you can start getting curious with yourself so that you can really know what your voice sounds like versus the indoctrination or the trauma responses that you might be having because of things that have happened previously in your life. So one of the first things I was coached to do and that I actually coach my clients to do when you're feeling confusion and you're not sure, is this me? Is this my indoctrination? Is to slow down. Okay. Most of us have been conditioned to want certainty and to want it very quickly. We're used to having a set of rules laid out for us. We're used to being able to take whatever's going on in our life and to compare it against those rules and then to move forward very quickly because the rules are very black and white. But when we're living independently, we're relying more on our inner knowing. We're relying more on what's happening in our body, in our heart, in our gut, in our head. And in order to discern that, it's going to take a little bit of time and a little bit of practice to hear our own authentic voice. Slowing things down allows us to pay attention to the bodily sensations that are happening because intuition always comes with bodily sensations. Your sensations might be different than mine. The way you feel your intuition may be vastly different than mine, but it happens in the body. And so where I might get an expansive feeling in my chest when something feels really good and I might get a pit in my stomach when something feels like not a great idea for me, or if I don't listen to my intuition for prolonged amounts of time, I get really tight in my neck and shoulders like my body is just clenching its fists and holding on for dear life. Those are my bodily responses. 
But like we talked about last week, your bodily responses might be a tingling on the skin when you're excited. Or you may feel what we talked about, that feeling like you're about to birth a baby or arousal when something feels really exciting to you. So really slowing down allows us to tune in to how our body is feeling as we're considering the decisions. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, I have been tuning into my body and I feel anxious and I feel tight and I feel afraid. That's the part I don't know. Is that my indoctrination? Is that my trauma? Is that my fear response that I'm making the wrong choice? Is that my perfectionism? Or is that honestly me saying, no, don't go this way? These are fantastic questions and I've been there before. Slowing down is going to help us parse our experience into two different camps. So intuition is going to have a part of it that feels exciting or open, freeing, relieving, calming, peaceful, soft, or warm. So tap into when I say this decision aloud, what does my body feel? Does it feel peaceful? Does it feel calm? Is there an exciting element? Is there part of me that's really open? Do I feel free when I think of this decision? If there's any element of you that is feeling that way, your intuition is giving you cues that this is something that's exciting for you. This is something that would free you. I often ask myself, Does this decision expand me as a human being? Does it expand my knowledge? Does it expand my ability to love and be compassionate to other people? Does it expand my life experience? I'll ask myself, does it expand my future? Does it give me more freedom? I'll ask, does it expand the possibilities of my life? And I listen for those bodily responses as I ask myself those questions. In contrast, when we're receiving input from our trauma or our indoctrination, we're usually feeling primarily fear, shame, depression, sadness, obligation, or a sense of helplessness, hopelessness, or lack, that feeling of not enough. This is where that imposter syndrome comes in. This is where that feeling that you're nothing special can come in. When I'm asking myself those three questions, does the decision expand me as a human being? Does it expand my future? Does this expand the possibilities of my life? Any decision that will shrink me, inhibit me from growing and learning, or will silence me is a decision that is coming from my trauma or my indoctrination. Now you might be saying to yourself, um, so both of those are true? When I tap into my decision... I feel like this is going to be really relieving and it feels really freeing and there's a small part of me that's excited but there's a huge part of me that's scared to death or there's a big part of me that's ashamed that thinks maybe I should be able to hang on a bit longer or continue to do whatever it is that I'm doing. This can happen as you well know when we're leaving An organization that has been a big part of our lives where there are certain rules to belong and you decide, you know what, I can't live by those rules anymore or I don't want to. And you decide to start living outside of those rules a little bit. 
that can feel really freeing. I now have more options. I get to think for myself. I get to try on what feels good for me. But there's fear about I might lose my community. I might lose the respect of people I love. I may be uncertain for a time without the rigid rules of the organization telling me what to do and what to think and what to value. This can also happen when you have to have difficult conversations with parents, when you have to change relationship dynamics or set boundaries. This can happen when you've been in a job and you've sunk a lot of costs into a career that maybe at one time felt good but has just been feeling like a burden for a long time or to break up with the significant other or to move across country because for some reason you feel pulled to go to this different place and you're excited to go to the different place but it means leaving behind everything that's familiar. It's normal to feel some fear even when the insight is coming from your intuition because it's going to involve change and often uncomfortable change. Having that conversation with your parent is going to be uncomfortable. Talking with your significant other and letting them know the relationship isn't working for you is going to be uncomfortable. Putting in your two weeks notice, looking for a new job, it's going to be uncomfortable. And packing up all of your belongings and moving to the new place is going to be uncomfortable. Getting out of our comfort zones and walking into the unknown creates a fear response because we don't know what to expect. And remember, the whole purpose of fear is to communicate to us that we're worried about our own safety. So if you're feeling excitement and expansion and this idea that this is going to be really freeing, but you're also feeling fear, your fear is welcome here. As you go on the journey forward, it's going to come with you. I find that it's helpful to acknowledge the fear and to create a plan to help that fear feel safe as we move forward. So for instance, when I was starting this business as a religious transition and trauma recovery coach, I felt so excited, so expanded, so free. I would lay in bed at night thinking about all the materials I could create, about all the people I could help, like even talking about it right now. I'm feeling this huge expansion in my heart. I'm even feeling tingles on my skin and I'm getting goosebumps. This feels so freeing. It expands me as a human being. It allows me to help and lift and change the world for the better, to make it a more empathic and kinder place. It also expands my future. I get to learn whatever I want to learn, and I get to say what I need to say. I get to have a voice, which I know for many of you who identify as women or who were labeled women at birth was not something you were encouraged to do in your church. To have a voice was something that was often looked down upon for people who are labeled female at birth or who identify as women now. And it expands the possibilities of my life because I get to grow and expand and step into my fullness as a person. I felt all of that when I was thinking about becoming a coach. It was so exciting and 
underneath all of that was the fear that I would disappoint my mother, that it would ruin our relationship forever. There was the fear of how the public would receive the work that I was doing. I wasn't sure what it would be like to receive hate notes in my DMs and messages from people trying to convert me to their religion. I wasn't sure how I was going to handle that. And then, of course, as I told you in the very first podcast, the perfectionism of, do I know enough? Can I communicate well enough? You know, all of those not enough messages came up because just like you, I'm healing. And just like you, when I was making a decision to go into the uncharted territories of a religious transition and trauma recovery coach because there aren't many that have blazed the trail. In fact, we're all sort of blazing the trail together. I didn't know what to expect. And so, of course, there was fear there. So if you're feeling those expansive feelings, those this is going to be really freeing and it feels really exciting and you're getting those bodily sensations, the tingles on your skin or the energy in your heart or that feeling of calm in your gut, even if there's fear involved, your answer is likely yes. Your answer is likely this is the way for you. Remember the paths that we walk that are authentic to ourselves will often be somewhat unblazed trails because our path will be so individual and so tailor-fit for us that it won't have been walked before. Of course, there will be some fear there. If that's what you're feeling and you're like, okay, this is my answer. I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling drawn toward this thing, but I'm also feeling afraid. Ask yourself, what's the next step I could take towards it? You can take one tiny step and then feel into it. How does that feel? And readjust, course correct, and take the next best step. I think many of us, when we were raised in high demand religion, were given an end goal that ended in eternity, that ended in heaven. And we were supposed to choose the path when we were a young child and stay on that path and never veer. And I think we still bring some of that with us to our decision-making once we've left high-demand religion or once we've become nuanced thinkers and we've decided to think for ourselves. We think we're supposed to decide now the rest of our lives and it's just not how it works. Right now, we feel into what's the general direction I want to go? What is the end goal? What would I like to experience? And we give ourselves the end goal. For me, I want to make a huge difference in the world. I want to help people recognize the miraculous beauty that is inside each one of us and to learn to love and accept themselves. That feels like my calling. And it feels like something I'm really excited to participate in. I know that whatever I do, I want to be able to be present with my family. I want to make sure that I get to immerse myself in my work, but then I also get to immerse myself in my family and building relationships with them. These are the things I know that I want, but I'm open to whatever that path looks like to get those things. And that's where the intuition comes in. I have a really good idea of what I'd like to achieve, what I'd like to experience, 
but I'm open to whatever path intuition takes me on to get there. So instead of having it all mapped out for me all the way to the end, I know that I'm headed to this certain place, but I'm open to whatever intuition tells me is the next step on my path there. That also means my path won't be straight because it's not meant to be. I'm meant to take steps and course correct and wind through the forest a little bit. I'm meant to go on the scenic route. It's an enriching journey. The third thing I want to bring up before this podcast ends, because this is going to be a nice little short one, and so will next week's, because while you're listening to this, I'm in Cancun with my family, and we are taking some time to just bond. No work for me, no research for me, taking off the nerd glasses for a week and a half, and putting on my sunglasses instead, but this was really important, and I wanted to make sure you had this message while I'm away. The chances are you already know what your intuition is saying. You already know what the right next step is for you. You already know. Even with the indoctrination, even with the trauma, you already know what feels like the best next step for you. But you don't like the answer because what is going to happen in the short term is going to be difficult and uncertain and it's a hard choice. But what is going to happen in the long term that you can feel into feels exciting and freeing and open. I know that's definitely how my decision to begin questioning the church felt. I remember the moment I had the feeling of this isn't right and I'm going to look into this. And that felt like the right thing to do. That felt relieving And immediately after I got the gut punch of fear, I knew that looking into my church's history, I just knew it was going to change everything. I knew that. But I also knew I couldn't keep living the way I was living. I knew I couldn't put my whole heart and soul into doctrine that kept feeling like shame. It kept feeling like fear. It kept feeling like control. It kept feeling like manipulation. Something wasn't adding up. My intuition was telling me loud and clear, this is uncomfortable. My shoulders were so tight. My neck was so tight. I was having panic attacks frequently. My body was communicating as loud as it could communicate. I would go to a massage therapist and the therapist would be like, oh my gosh, like your shoulders are bricks. What is going on? Why are you so tense here? My body was just trying to like scream at me, talk to me through a megaphone. You are not comfortable. You're so stressed out. You're so tense. And when I had the thought of, I need to research this, something isn't right, I felt a relief in my body of finally, I'm so glad you're ready to do this. And there was that gut punch of fear. That was the trauma. That was the indoctrination of what if I make a mistake? What if I end up going to hell? What if I end up bringing my family with me? What if it all turns out wrong? What if they're right? And I read about the history and I end up leaving the church. It had not crossed my mind at that time that I could leave the church, that that would even be in my cards. All I knew was the next right step 
was to really allow myself to look at all of the information and to draw my own conclusions, not the conclusions that had been handed to me. I was supposed to look at all of the information. I was supposed to use my research brain and dig in there, look at all the footnotes, look up the historical documents, really read them, cross-examine them, connect the dots, and come to my own conclusion. And that felt like an incredible, exciting, relieving experience in my body, giving myself permission to do that. I remembered feeling giddy, a little bit like a child in a candy shop. There was definitely a part of that in my body. There was an excitement there. And there was definitely a huge ball of fear because I knew in the short term it was going to change everything. I wasn't sure what that would look like. I definitely had not conceived that it might end up with me leaving the church, but I knew already that I was going to vote independently because that was the straw that broke the camel's back. We were told how to vote on a certain thing over the pulpit. I knew I was going to vote independently because I had already done all the research and had come to the opposite conclusion of the church on this one issue. We had already started talking about masturbation in our home because my husband's a marriage and family therapist. And at the time, he was seeing a lot of people that were self-identifying as sex addicts or pornography addicts. And we had already started having discussions at home about how detrimental some of the things these men had been taught were being in their life, how it was affecting their life in really serious ways. And even though we were both still very devoted, active Mormons, it wasn't feeling right for us. And so we had already come to the conclusion that masturbation was not wrong, that it was actually a very healthy part of maturing, and that that's what we were going to be teaching our kids. But we also knew there would be bishop interviews where they would ask our kids if they were masturbating. It still hadn't occurred to us that that was inappropriate. We were that far in that we were like, uh, yeah, totally fine for the local dentist to ask our kids if they're masturbating and to ask them sexual questions. Had not occurred to us that that was not okay because both of us had been raised in a church where having boundaries was not part of the way you lived. You just didn't have boundaries. You were encouraged not to have boundaries and you were conditioned that way from the time you were a little child. So we knew that things were going to change and that it was going to affect our kids' abilities to go to the temple or to pass the sacrament. We knew it was going to affect our abilities possibly to hold callings and to be in leadership roles. And we knew that things were going to change. And it was scary. I know that you know that feeling. I know that you've had decisions already in your life that have felt like yeah, I've got to do this. You almost feel compelled to do whatever it is to do, whether it is to break up the relationship with your significant other or whether it's to have a really difficult conversation with your parent or to take a different job because your current job is sucking the life out of you. I know you know this feeling where you're like, I feel compelled. I have to do this. I need to do this for my health, for my sanity, for my wellness, for my family. There is something about this that is just calling to me. And I know it's going to free me. And it feels so relieving 
but there's still that gut punch of fear because big things are happening. Now, like I said, the short term is usually the thing that we're afraid of because it involves a lot of change. This is where the difficult conversations happen. This is where we draw the boundaries. This is where we perhaps leave the religious community. This is where we tell our significant other that we need to go to therapy or we're ready for a divorce. This is where we move across the country. This is where we put in our two weeks notice. This is the leap, if you will. This is the inciting moment of change and it is terrifying. And we get to honor that. Of course, we feel fear. We get to comfort ourselves. But long-term is where things change for the better. That's where you are free to study whatever you want to study. You're free to live a life that feels true to you. You're free to have boundaries, to love who you are, to pursue a career that feels fulfilling, to get out of an abusive situation, and to live free of abuse. These are the long-term benefits that come if we're willing to deal with the short-term change. Now, another question is coming up. I thought that was going to be the end, but one more question is coming up. I can almost hear someone asking, what happens if my logic and my gut don't agree? What happens when my heart and my gut are saying one thing, but my head is saying another? What helps me here in this situation is to write it down. So often what happens is when we're trying to make a big decision, we keep it all just in our head, right? We keep it all like a non-lingual question that we ask ourselves. Sometimes we don't use words. We just kind of mull thoughts over. And it's really hard for our intuition to, to give us a clear yes or no when they really don't know what the question is. I find that it's so helpful to use paper and to make things concrete so that our intuition can clearly guide us with, yes, this feels right. No, that feels wrong. Our intuition deals really well with concrete questions that it can give you like a yes feeling or a no feeling to, okay? So if you're in a place where you're like, logically, I know this, but my gut is feeling this, this is a great exercise to help with that. So what you're going to do is first write, what's the result you most want in this area of your life? Then I want you to list all of the options you have to move ahead. And I want you to get crazy here, okay? So often we'll list one, maybe two options, but often creative options bring things to the table that maybe we haven't thought of before. And by getting ridiculous, by putting things down that might feel impossible or crazy, we often arrive at a solution that we hadn't thought of before. And that's the reason the problem feels so confusing is because we haven't thought of a solution that works for both our logic and our intuition. It's like our logic is saying, no, but this is a good thing. And our intuition is saying, eh, something about that is still not going to fit. Or our intuition is saying, mm, we want to do this. This feels great. And our logic is like, but that doesn't make any sense. What about this? Listing all of your options and allow yourself to get as crazy, as innovative, to think outside of the box as much as you want. You can even go into fantasy land. You know, if we were all weightless, 
what would your options look like? If you lived on Mars, what would your options look like? If you lived underwater, what would your options look like? If you were the only human on Earth, what would your options look like? If we lived in the future and we had different technology available to us, what would your options look like? That's actually something that Elon Musk does, is he thinks to himself, if anything were possible and I had available to me all the technology that I needed, what would be possible? And then that's where he starts is what would be possible if they had better technology? And then he backtracks and he actually decides, okay, this would be possible if we had this technology. How do we develop that technology? You can do that too. You can use Elon Musk's way of innovating and creating for your own life. You don't have to build rockets or electric cars. You can build a life that fits you by asking yourself, what would be possible if there were no constraints? And then how do I create a situation where those constraints don't exist anymore? Is that possible? It's really exciting. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to take all of those options, even the crazy ones, And you're going to list both sides, the pros and the cons. What are the advantages of these options? What are the drawbacks of each option? And then for each option, I want you to list the worst case scenario. The reason I have you do this, this is something I learned from Marie Forleo. And it has been life-changing for me. Often that punch of fear that's in our gut is our worst case scenario talking to us. It's Oh my gosh, the world could end if I do this. And so often what we do in that scenario is we try to turn a blind eye and we try to push that down and we try not to look at it. But the more we don't look at it, the bigger it gets and the louder it gets and the more scary it gets, kind of like, you know, the monster in the closet, that if we don't just go over and look at it and realize, okay, that's a sweater and a hat, that's not actually a monster, and it diminishes and it makes it where we can go to sleep. I don't know if you guys had that whenever you were growing up. I definitely was afraid of monsters in the closet or the room or whatever. I still have a tiny fear of the dark, to be honest. The more I would try not to look at the monster, the more I would try to close my eyes and just tell myself to go to sleep and just, you know, like work on my breathing, turn over, the more anxiety I would feel. I just had like a sudden realization as we were talking about this that I also really thought that there were monsters in the world. I really thought that there were invisible creatures that were out to get me, partly because of religious indoctrination. Like, I'm having this remembrance as I'm talking to you, so I'm just going to share it with you. You know, like a friend, we're having this conversation. I'm realizing as I'm revisiting this, laying in my bed, worried about monsters, all the adults in my life thought that there were monsters. They thought that there were demons that followed us around and were always trying to get us to sin. So it really wasn't that big of a leap to be like, there are demons in my room. There are monsters in my room. And so if I tried to ignore it, that fear got bigger and bigger and bigger. If I would just go over and look at the thing that I thought was a monster, which took huge amounts of courage, don't get me wrong. And sometimes like I would carry a baseball bat with me or I would carry, you know, some sort of hairspray. I think I carried hairspray one time now that I'm thinking about it, but I would carry some weapon with me sometimes, but it took a lot of courage to go over to that side of the room and be like, okay, yeah, that's just a sweater. That's my hat. That looked really weird in the dark, but okay, okay, but it's just clothing. It is not a monster. And then I could go to sleep. 
The same thing is what we're doing here. Often the worst case scenario is what is making us so afraid. And so by looking at it square in the face, by saying, what is the worst thing that could happen here? Often it's not as scary as we think it is because it's not very likely to happen. Or if it is likely to happen, we're able to make a plan to keep ourselves safe. So we're able to look and say, okay, worst case scenario is my parents might disown me. Well, what will I do if my parents disown me? How will I deal with that? How will I protect myself? Where will I go for love and support? What will I do to make sure that I feel cared for? And we make a plan, which makes the worst case scenario not feel as devastating. Would it still be devastating if your parents disowned you? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to cry. Yeah. But are you capable of surviving it? And can you put together a plan of how you'll get love and support and validation? Yeah, you can. You're either surrounded by a bunch of people who love you for who you are, or even just a few people who love you for who you are, or you can find a group of people that can love you for who you are. There are support groups that you could attend. There's therapy that you could get. There's so many things that you can do to love and support yourself while dealing with that devastating loss. So we look at the monster in the closet and we ask ourselves, what's the worst thing that could happen for each one of these options? And then how will I deal with that worst case scenario? Or is the worst case scenario a big deal in the first place? And then last, who else will this impact? Now, I know this is a difficult one for those of us who have left high demand religion or even high demand families who feel like we're responsible for other people's emotions, even when we're setting boundaries and saying, this is no longer okay, we are actually giving our loved ones an opportunity to heal themselves. As long as we stay in the patterns that are unhealthy, not only are we miserable, but we're enabling the other person to stay in an unhealthy state. As long as we're taking responsibility for their emotions, they don't have to take responsibility for their emotions. As long as we're willing to suppress ourselves in order to take care of them and to bail them out and to be there for them, they don't have to step up to the plate and deal with their own issues. As long as we're willing to deal with them crossing our boundaries, calling us awful names, We're not allowing them the opportunity to learn what a healthy relationship looks like. Again, short term, is that going to be painful to have that conversation? You bet. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you have a relationship where the other person is used to sloughing off responsibility for their emotions or their difficult stuff on you or having you caretake and them just getting to receive, this is going to feel scary for them too. When you set boundaries and say, hey, I'm healing and I'm no longer willing to accept this from you. I want a healthy relationship with you. This is where you can meet me in this healthy space. But that also means you're going to have to heal. It may feel like abandonment to them, but it's also an invitation for them to get healthy. Short term, the impact They may throw a tantrum, they may scream and yell, they may say and do awful things, they may cut you off and not talk for a while. They may go and pout, hoping you'll change your mind and come back and take care of them. 
hoping you'll come back to the unhealthy place where they don't have to change because remember, anytime we change, it's scary because it's the unknown. So they may kick, scream, whatever to bring you back to the unhealthy place so that you'll meet them there and they don't have to change and things can just go back to normal. Because so often, as humans, we prefer the unhealthy known over the healthier unknown. We at least know how to operate in this unhealthy space and it feels comfortable even if it's awful. I know you know what I'm talking about. There are several of you listening to this that are like, oh, yeah. We know that unhealthy place and it's comfortable. We know how to navigate it. We know when to put our head down. We know when to keep our mouth shut. We know when to buy someone a gift. We know all those things. But when we get healthier, we're stepping into the unknown, which is scary for us. And often what comes up is, oh, I'm being awful. I'm being selfish because we've likely been conditioned that way, that I'm being selfish to have needs. I'm being mean. I'm being unkind. But really what we're doing is we're offering an invitation for our loved ones to step up to the plate and to meet us in a healthy place. So while short term, the impact may be that our family or friends or whatever may feel abandoned or they may feel angry, long term, the impact is they have an invitation to heal. They don't have to take it, but you've invited them into a healthier space where they can live a healthier, more fulfilling life, where they get to heal their own wounds and they get to feel self-worth too. I feel like this is also true when we leave high demand organizations. Every time one of us leaves or one of us is vocal about our questions, we're also offering the organization an opportunity to look honestly at itself and to be accountable, to make itself a healthier place for people. Again, so often the organizations don't take that invitation, but every time we do what's healthy for us, we're basically holding up a mirror and saying, this isn't healthy for these reasons, and this is your invitation to make your organization healthier. I know many of us have been told that we are rebellious, weak, unkind, overly independent, prideful. But really what we are is we're the change makers. We're the chain breakers. We're the people brave enough to hold up the mirror and say, this isn't healthy. We can do better. And this is your opportunity to step up to the plate and do better. There's trauma here. And I choose to break the link of generational trauma. We are brave and courageous, often empathic and kind-hearted. We want to do good in the world. We want to make the world a better place. And we want healthy personal lives and families and relationships. It's so hard being the first ones. I know this. It is so hard being the first generation to break these chains. It is so hard being the first generation that says this is enough, this is unhealthy, we can do better, but you're doing it, you're healing. And as you heal, you are giving an invitation to everyone around you to heal as well. 
I feel so privileged to be surrounded by people like you. I feel grateful every morning when I wake up that this is the work I get to do because I am spending so much time with people who are brave and courageous and making choices that feel risky and scary, but also expansive and exciting and free. I'm excited for me to be in this space and I'm excited for you to see what you create with your beautiful gifts. Thanks so much for joining me and I will see you next week.